This is the Business of Cannabis, a joint venture between the Green Generation Co. and the Cannabis 101 podcast. Bringing you the latest bud, biz, buzz. Once again, I am joined by Malcolm LaBelle of the Green Generation Company. You can find it online at greengencompany.com. Calm. Malka, how are you on uh, what is now turned into a very rainy province of Alberta? Yeah, I mean, it's sunny where I am, but we had some crazy storms this weekend. Man, the <laughs> footage. Yeah, the footage that uh, came out of Calgary. I mean, we had a, a storm that night. You guys, uh, you guys had like a storm times 10. Apparently, it was a cross between a tornado and a hurricane, according to, like, the stats on the web. <laughs> so, it was insane. But, fortunately, for my neck of the woods, we just saw a massive thunderstorm that kind of swept through. But, heck, yeah, that was, it was insane when they saw the pictures. Yeah, wow, it was uh, scary. Glad everybody uh, seems to be safe. Um, let's get into our first topic. And, and we're discussing uh, rebuilding the Canadian economy with cannabis insuring. What are you talking about with this? So I think I made up this term, but I might have heard it referenced somewhere else. I'm not sure. But what I meant by insuring is the opposite of offshoring. So in in the business world, you know, we talk about there has been a massive trend towards globalization of the past over 10 years, where people would send their, uh, you know, close their, you know, Canadian-made or their North American-made factories where they, you know, pay the top dollar for their employees and then send the work overseas where it's cheaper to make everything less expensive. Well, you know, that trend has largely been criticized for uh, major uh, losses for a lot of jobs and people without them and things like that. And right now in this time, you know, sort of former COVID, post-ending COVID, I don't know whatever you want to call it, but this era that we're in now, this new time um, where you're, we're sort of still in this, like, we've got to really focus on, you know, borders are closed, we can't openly travel, goods are still moving. But there's a massive opportunity here with the cannabis um, sort of economy picking up, as we saw with COVID, the numbers in in retail really picking up and and with the whole people sort of staying at home and hunkering down and either having time on their hands to try new stuff or being driven crazy by their children or whatever. We're seeing that cannabis seems to be working well in these times. And what I mean by insuring is, this has actually happened because of this podcast. So I'm going to give you major props, Dean, for giving me the platform to talk about this stuff. But I have been getting a lot of interest of my, on my, of my topics of conversation through LinkedIn and, and this podcast and other places that I'm publishing um, because people from other parts of the world are really interested in what's happening in Canada, in cannabis specifically. And, and the world is watching and we're the first country in the world to legalize this. Uh, across the board with very tight regulations and everyone cares it seems like it seems like this is the new it industry um and this is really a a, this is why i keep you know talking about the point where we as canadians uh, are leaders in this space but we have to acknowledge that leadership role and when people come calling and saying hey we're from another country we are interested in what you're doing like, this is the kind of thing where before I would, you know, kind of hang, hang up the phone, click, I'm not interested, I don't know who you are or why you're calling me. I'm giving it a second thought because their compelling argument is that 
we are interested and we've been listening for a while and they give enough information that they actually are paying attention. And it's interesting because what they want to do is spend money, open up industry, um, bring their ideas, which are largely not legal in their country, but they're what they call um, anecdotal uh, ways of doing things and see if they work under a legal structure in Canada grow them under our regulatory framework and then take them back to their home countries where there's way more people that would buy them. So that's a huge business opportunity and an economic driver that would benefit Canada. That's it's so interesting because you are right. Um, I mean, we might think uh, that the cannabis regulations are strict here, but go to Uruguay and, and find out really how strict they are. And uh, that's why everybody is watching Canada, uh, because to see how did they do us? How did they do it? Oh, we'd like to do it that way. Oh, we'd like to do this better. Uh, but why not take advantage of that? I mean, we, we should almost have basically a legalization blueprint that people can follow and, and tweak if they want to. Um, and it shouldn't just be for governments. It should be for different kinds of companies. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what these companies, uh, that's the interest that I've gotten. And I, I really feel that this is a massive opportunity, like for some, some, someone like myself, where I don't have a you know plant or facility, but I have a consulting, you know, practice so to speak and i think that this is the thing they're calling me because they want to know how to how to get it like how do we get our boots on the ground in canada what are the legal channels to do that and there are they, those exist they're you know bringing business into canada is something that canadians have been doing for centuries and we're pretty good at that and we have a really good way of like for example um you know how do we how do we regulate or how do we help um with proper taxes and ownership laws with foreign interests. So for example, um, it's, what I think of is like, you know, when the uh, China uh, companies are the, wanted to come in and buy oil and gas companies, which was happening for a long time, um, there was like laws that were changed or that were discussed in, you know, in, in our, in our own parliament to could make sure that Canadians maintain ownership of those companies. So those are, those are in place. So in this, this is a perfect example where, Companies like that can come in, and, and I was advising them to, you know, partner with a, a LPs who desperately need money right now. The ones that exist or the ones that are up and coming, everybody needs investment. So these are, you know, over, oh, offshore businesses that want to come to Canada and employ Canadians and work under our laws to grow their concept in our economy. Why the heck not? I don't really see any negative other than if it doesn't work, well, at least they tried they're still left with, you know, we tried something and now we know it doesn't work, but if it's successful, then we then have an exportable business concept with a potential for business uh, diversification in their economy as well. Um, and I stipulated in my, in my talking to these, these people that, you know, if you're doing it under our regulations and you're investing or you're bringing your money into Canada, um, the best thing to do is, you know, make it, uh, um, accessible or you know, entertaining uh, or approachable for other Canadians to get involved, like paying royalties or dividends to those companies in the long term. So they have a long-term reason to partner with, with a company like that. So I thought it was great. And I'm, I'm happy to help any company overseas uh, figure out a pathway if they have something different or interesting, or they just want to learn, you know, even if they can't come here physically right now, the border isn't closed virtually. It's only closed physically. So we can definitely have those conversations and, and, and make those matches. And that's what I'm here to do. 
And do you have people, do you think there are people lined up ready to do this? Well, I know that there's this, this one company did reach out to me. He literally contacted me through LinkedIn. We already had a couple connections through some of the bigger groups and networks that are part of. So I didn't, you know, say, no, I don't want to talk to you. Um, but they were in, they called from India and they said, you know, th- we do something like this in India, but not with cannabis. They use other plants, basically, or other uh, spices, really, which is key. You know, that's where spices came from. So, um, and the, the business that they're in is in extraction, you know, of, of things from food pro- food grade uh, extracts, essentially, was what I think their business is. So, the, the businesses to line up, I don't know if they're lined up, but I'm, I'm opening the door. I'm like, hey, if you have something from a country and you're listening to this, call me. Like, I would happily explore what that is. Um, and I think, especially if they're willing to put money into it, like, I mean, it's, we're not, a, you know, nothing's for free here, right? If you have an idea and you want to do something, you have to be willing to put some dollars behind it to show that you're, you're, you've got something to prove. Um, and partnerships with Canadian companies in order to achieve those goals. And I think we're open to that kind of stuff. I think so for sure. I, I think that we should definitely be looking at uh, some of these different options that uh, are outside of uh, Canada that can come into Canada and uh, make a difference. Speaking of make a difference, uh, when it comes to change makers, uh, we are talking about hemp e ca and the distribution of super bits. I'm, I'm really intrigued mm-hmm. about super bits. Yeah, so HempE uh, is, is the company is called HempE Distribution, and they're essentially uh, an online store for hemp products. Um, it's a distribution company uh, started in Alberta, central Alberta, um, and the lovely lady that started this company, she was actually one of my first uh, consulting clients back in 2018, and, and I was just enamored with her. She's like a real, like, you know, just roll up your sleeves and just do it all, uh, you know, a young mom, and she's, you know, she had a lot of personal adversity, and she was really looking for a business that she could grow herself from her home farm and central Alberta. And this company actually really grew very organically, and she used a network marketing model, which is one of those ones where I'm, like, really against, because it sounds like a pyramid scheme, but it's not at all, actually. It's just, like, very simplistic. Um, but the hemp e-distribution company basically has a bunch of different brands or a bunch of products, all of them made in Canada. Um, and source in Canada, and she's like an online store. So it's like online, you know, like a, a planted organic or, you know, one of those natural products, but everything's made with hemp, and it's a full lineup of, of goods. So she's everything from, like, you know, um, body care and soaps and, and creams to, you know, um, um, hemp food products. So she's got this these super bits. So the super bits are actually hemp seed hearts or hemp, hemp hearts, like, you know, like the ha- the Manitoba Harvest hemp hearts that yep. were in Costco forever and then purchased by Tilray for $419 million. <laughs> so, um, you know, as soon as I, she started telling me about these super bits, which was one of her top selling products for a long time, but she didn't make them. They were just, they were distributed through her, through her, her online store. So when we were working together, she was saying how this, this particular supplier they made a lot of different goods and they were wanting to focus more on the on the cosmetic side of you know the lotions and the different sunscreens etc um things like that so they they dropped the super bits or they they called it something else i think they were just flavored hemp seeds so they decided to discontinue that product and and she was really advising them against it she said it was their most popular selling product on the entire site that she saw of all of the products that she sold but they said you know what it was just expensive and it was hard for them to do so they dropped the line 
And then with working with me, I helped a little bit with advising her on how to sort of figure out how to make a food product when you have nothing to make, like you've never made anything before. So, and she was a really big fan of the product herself. Like she used it with her family, with her kids, their kids had allergies, things like that. So it was a really good, healthy, uh, basically hemp hearts that are flavored. And she just added, I don't, she has a proprietary process and then she figured out a way to sort of make it on a larger scale. She went through the motions like herself and with the support of her community, um, I think it was the Community Futures Group or the Economic Diversity Group in Central Alberta to find the channels to do this. And in the course of a year, she went from, like she had a product that had been made before, so she had a pretty good concept. And then now, like in the last few few uh, weeks here, she launched her own line called Superbit. And she did the whole thing herself. And I'm so impressed. And they're delicious. Like I ordered, I got my first apples and I'm like, oh my God, they are really good. Um, I put them on my yogurt and like in, in cereal, my daughter loves them on ice cream. Like they're such a, it's such a simple but super nutritious food. And she has them in four flavors, maple, cinnamon, Mexicana, and lemon, pepper, dill pickle. They're just awesome. And they're so, it's so simple. But no one else is doing this. Like, this product does not exist anywhere else. And I, I said to her when we first talked about it, like, it was in the time right before the Hillary acquisition. And I, I knew that, that was, it was one of those things that had been announced but hadn't been closed yet, you know, in the deal-making world. And, you know, everybody knew that Manitoba Hemp Hearts was a big name because they were in Costco. Like, everyone could get them everywhere. They were very popular. And this was a better version of that that made them much more tasty, even on their own or with other stuff. So I was like, oh, my God, you might have something here that would be worth acquiring your company and your you know, patented process on this or your, the way that you're doing it. I'm like, go for it. Like, so I was all in support and helped her wherever I could. And, yeah, I'm like, you know, so she did it. And hopefully, you know, I mean, they just got launched on her website. It can be... Uh, .ca, but anyone can buy them now and try them out. And who knows, maybe Tilray or the next company will come knocking for, you know, half a billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> or she turns it into a, a, you know, billion dollar company herself. Who knows? It seems like the, the sky is the limit. I, I certainly think the sky is the limit when it comes to, to hemp uh, in general. I mean, that, uh, that plant is just a, a wonder crop. So for more information, and, and if you want to order yourself, it's hempe.ca, and you can get your own uh, super bits uh, with the, the four flavors. I'm really interested in the uh, dill pickle. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going <laughs> to check that out. All right, uh, let's talk about what it means to be green. Uh, I love this segment because we are always talking about, um, you know, ways to not only uh, be green in cannabis, but help the environment. And, and this week, uh, what it means to be green is about the commoditization of cannabis. Yeah, so this, wording the my definition of green in this case or my play on this is green as in money green as in dollar bills cash coin whatever you want to call it. green is the money aspect of the commoditization of cannabis where cannabis is should not be considered a commodity i am extremely against this concept um but it has been overly and overly done uh in terms of talking about from largely you know business analysts even the heads of large companies that make the products themselves talk about the value um, in a commodity kind of way. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the word commodity has a lot of, you know, sort of meanings. Um, but in this sense, what it's meaning is a commodity is an economic good uh, or service um, that, market, that the market treats 
um, instances of as equivalent or nearly the same with no regard to who produces them. So essentially what that means is that cannabis as a commodity means that all cannabis is the same. It doesn't matter who's making it, who's growing it or making it. And that effectively nullifies the point of having you as a free market, you know, business where everyone is growing their own cultivars and there's different companies and different brands. It essentially says it doesn't matter what you're growing. It's all the same to us. And that to me is like a stab in the friggin' heart. And mm-hmm. also to all of the people that have been incarcerated for it, that have lost their livelihoods, that have gone, gone to the ends of the earth to make it legal so that it could be used as medicine, not as a commodity. And it's painful that today there was another announcement, or there's an article in the Growth Off, which is you know supposedly our you know, news source, from the, it's like the CEO of Canopy Rivers. You know, Canopy Rivers, they're supposed to be doing good in this world, supposedly. And I'm knocking them because it's really painful for people like giants like Canopy. Canopy Rivers is an investment arm extension of the Canopy Growth Company. Now, the Kennedy Growth Company, you've already heard, has laid off a bunch of people. They own a ton of brands, you know, Tweed and, and all of the Tokyo Smoke. They own a whole bunch of brands. And they opened up the industry and, you know, bought a bunch of, uh, started a bunch of facilities and bought a bunch of other companies. And then now they're kind of reversing aim because they haven't been successful. They basically said, we haven't figured this out. Um, and then here's Kennedy Rivers, who's like the investment arm. They're like, oh, yeah, we got all this money. We're going to invest in other stuff. And the CEO of that company is saying, yeah, well, we're going to consider beverages, which was supposed to be the next big, like, oh, this is the next next big thing with cannabis edibles, is these beverages. Um, but these beverages have also not seen any success, like globally. I mean, California started having them. It's like a slice, like less than 1% of the edible market is considered beverages. And I'm like, you guys, you got to stop talking about this stuff. Like, it's a commodity. Um, so let me pull this all together because it sort of it sounds confusing. I'm kind of off on tangents. Basically, why is the commoditization of cannabis bad? Well, it's bad for the plant. It's bad for the people that have dedicated their lives, like I said before, and to all the scientists and researchers and product developers and all the people that are looking at trying to find different formats in which people can try it and feel that it's acceptable to them because maybe they don't want to smoke it. Um, why, like, well, why is it bad? Well, companies that are trying to make a name for themselves and grow in the space with branding or with differentiation or all these different cultivars or anything that they're doing, and people that know that this plant is different, like a strain of cultivar of Baba Kush um, is very different than a strain of Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Um, you know, like, People that know the product would know that's a high indica and a high CBD, and you would not use those for the same reason. So that's what I mean is that people that are unfamiliar with cannabis because they are, they're either not users or they're not educated on it or they just don't care would think that, oh, well, that's all the same thing, but it's so not. And then when you have people coming in that are saying, like, you know, they're resorting these cans of beverages to Literally, he did a math equation in the article about the, you know, the dollar of the product compared to the percentage of THC value. So that's literally resorting all of the stuff that I just talked about into a ratio, you know, percentage value. That's a commoditization exercise um, in order to keep drawing a comparison between the other 2.0 edible formats like talk, you talk about chocolate. And there's been a lot of success, by the way, with the Canadian cannabis chocolates. I don't know if you've tried some of the Bang Medibles or the mm-hmm. Foray. Or, they're awesome. And I don't know, like, I like, I like the chocolate edibles. But the beverages, 
it's, an, it's like an entirely different product category. It's like, it's like saying, you know, you're taking something and saying it's, you know, the percentage of THC to the dollar of the product makes it, you know, not, you know, not a good thing um, and therefore commoditizing it over that way. It's because it's like saying, this is my comparison. So hear me out as a big thing, because I think it makes sense, but tell me what you think. It's like saying that like Kleenex, toilet paper, printer paper, and paper towels are all the same thing. And then doing a percentage calculation of the paper in it to mm-hmm. the dollar value to create a comparison amongst all of those products. Like, do you agree that that's a fair comparison of different product categories? Well, they're all they're all made from pulp, yeah. Yeah, so the commodity yeah. is the pulp and the paper, right? right? So that's the commodity. In this case, the commodity he's saying is the THC value, mm-hmm. and that the only thing that's of value in in all of these products is just the percentage of THC, and that's just inherently wrong. Like, I don't know, it's wrong for me because using an edible is a very accessible form for a lot of people that wouldn't try a beverage or wouldn't smoke cannabis. And an edible format that tastes like chocolate doesn't taste like a can of beer or a can of soda. So the, it's going back to like, like this is what I think. It's like, like why would you, you know, you, you spend all of this money and all of this time making these beverages. Like he's critiquing their own product that they make basically and saying, you know, why was, why did you make it in the first place? Just to compare it as a commodity against other products in general? Because really, when you look back at like why people would consume a beverage, like the original strategic player on that was to be another product instead of like a beer or an alcohol. In which case, a can of beer for five bucks. Is that a good deal, Dean? You must drink some beer. What a $5 beer. Well, that's a, that's a good price if you're in a bar, but not a great price if you're buying from a store. Right. But the original concept prior to legalization was we're going to make like a five or six dollar can of right. so a can of something that's a beverage. You, you have it on the golf course or you have it at a restaurant or a bar. So that's just a small dose of THC that is quick acting, which is why it can be put into a liquid. So it can be that it's a nano emulsion that can be absorbed quickly. But and that it can also come out quickly of your system so that you can drive or you can go home. Instead of, you know, having a longer term effect, which edibles typically have. So it's almost like they completely, in this guy's argument in this, this article, and, and maybe I missed something, but honestly, I think what I heard out of this article was that he missed the boat in terms of his own product and as, as to why they even created their own product. And he's resorting it to a percentage THC, which is the commodity that we're discussing here, which is not what the only thing that cannabis is about. And there's my soapbox for the day <laughs> well there are a lot of cannabis products that don't have thc so it's a it's a bit of a, a strange argument to only focus on thc because there's a lot of people that use the product uh without thc so uh on that basis alone i don't really understand uh the argument but i love the passion uh, and i love it every week malcolm labelle from the green generation co you can find out more information at www.greengencompany.com uh, hopefully it stays dry for the rest of the week malka thank you so much for joining me and have a good one thanks Dean.